Welcome to Health or Consequences, the Massachusetts Healthcare and Public Health Policy edition of the podcast series in partnership with Commonwealth Magazine. I'm one of your hosts, Paul Haddis from Tufts University Medical School, here along with my co-host, John McDonough of the T.H. Uh, Chan Harvard School of Public Health, and we're delighted today to be joined by Kate Walsh, President and CEO of the Boston Medical Center Health System. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Paul. Hi, John. Hi, Kate. Kate, for our podcast listeners, uh, tell us first a little bit about yourself and your uh, background and career, if you would. Well, um, how long do you have? I've been uh, I've been working in healthcare for almost forty years, and I have had uh, it was not a meteoric rise to the top. I started as a shift supervisor in an emergency room in the Bronx, and actually my career started as an intern at a neighborhood health center here in Boston. So I've been um, I've been uh, kind of. I've worked at every job you can probably have within a hospital system, and I'm, I'm very proud to be leading uh, Boston Medical Center now, which is a, a, a health system that disproportionately serves low-income patients. We're comprised of a, of a full-service academic medical center, uh, a network of community health centers that we're privileged to work with, a, a health insurance plan that largely serves Medicaid patients and provides peace of mind and access to health care to 420,000 people across Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and a faculty practice plan, um, all of the physicians who work at and uh, advanced uh, uh, health practitioners who work at, at, at Boston Medical Center are full-time faculty members of the Boston University School of Medicine. So it's a big, vibrant, really exciting place, and I'm very happy You've to You've been there since around 2010, is that yeah. correct? And, you know, you, over the years, you had a number of different jobs in academic medical centers. Anything particularly either culturally or otherwise different at, at BMC compared to other experiences that you've had? Um, what I what I love about BMC is it's a, a really um, incredibly diverse and wonderful group of patients and staff, but one payer, basically. It's Medicaid. So I think about BMC as kind of being a little experiment uh, to think about how to make sure that we can maintain access for uh, people across the Commonwealth and hopefully across the nation by making the Medicaid system work for the people it's intended to serve. Uh, and the differences between that and other places I've worked is just the preponderance of one payer. Um, every place I've worked is very committed to excellence. I've only worked at academic medical centers, which I guess is a strength or a weakness in my CV. You can judge that for yourself after the end of this podcast, I guess, as we're calling it. And um, I really, uh, I've really enjoyed the every place I've worked and have taken away a lot from each of the places I've been, both here and in New York City. But well, given that mission, as you say, significant number of Medicaid patients, even some uninsured, what keeps you up most at night these days? Um, I think what keeps me up most at night is the growing appreciation of the dissatisfaction that Americans have with our healthcare system. You know, I've been working in it for 40 years and, uh, you know, we work really hard to do the right thing. And then you listen to uh, a presidential debate that's about two and a half hours long and an hour and a half is about healthcare and health insurance. And I'm always, I'm, so I'm kind of struck by the fact that of the, of the disconnect between what we try to do and what people perceive about their healthcare system. Uh, that's probably the, headline. Uh, underneath that is the the growing challenge of managing the rising costs. And, uh, you know, at Boston Medical Center, we work really hard on that because we have to. And, and, and we're not successful. I mean, we really, healthcare costs continue to rise. And then finally, I think the 
there's a lot of people outside of our industry who look in and say, there has to be a better way. So there are all these disruptors around us, and uh, the opportunity to both learn from them but not be displaced by them is something that, that we, we spend a lot of time thinking about at Boston Medical Center. So just switching gears a little bit and staying on Medicaid, <clears throat> Massachusetts Medicaid, also known as MassHealth, it's about 18 months into a massive program shifting about 900,000 Massachusetts, low-income Massachusetts residents into these new accountable care organizations. There's 17 of them. Uh, Boston Medical Center runs one of them and is a big part of the system. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a sense of how this whole experiment looks like from where you sit? Is it working? What's, what's valuable? What is worrisome? And are you positive and confident about it? Or do you have concerns and worries? Just kind of Give it a report card or whatever you can. Okay, so I guess um, I'll answer the question on a couple of levels. The first thing I have to say is uh, I think Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts, the Baker administration, and the Mass Health program are absolutely on the right track. They are trying to take the Medicaid dollar and spend it in a way that actually promotes people's health. They've taken the brave and I think um, I think the, the unique step North Carolina might be following of actually trying to uh, risk stratify patients by the social determinants of health, housing, um, homelessness, or housing insecurity severe and persistent mental illness, substance use disorder, and I can't remember the last one. Of course, it would fall out of my head while I'm on air. But, um, and, and, and by taking the, the steps of, of, of trying to address risk and having rates reflect the social determinants of health, I think that's really a, a brilliant step. And uh, really, I think it's helped us understand much more about our patients. I would say from the perspective of running Boston Medical Center's health system, you know, we have a, a delivery system and we have uh, and we have a health insurance plan. So we kind of are on both sides of the deal. And so I'll give you a good example of how I think it's really improving care. Uh, we have... Uh, in, in the Mass Health program, there are quality metrics. One of them is uh, is the measurement of uh, hemoglobin A1C, which is how well your diabetes is performing over time. And um, you know, in the old days, when somebody comes in and their diabetes is quote still out of control, and they've been on an oral agent, we would probably just add insulin. Now, with our health plan data, we can see well, patient A's hemoglobin is still out of control, um, but they picked up their medicine and they're taking their medicine, and maybe they do in fact need a different agent or another medicine. Medicine. But patient B never picked up her medicine. And so we can put different strategies in place. So we're actually taking care of people in a better way. Um, so the, I, I think that that's uh, a really important step. Uh, the integration of behavioral health, the, all of the work, the, the thought and the uh, intention in the program is terrific. Where Boston Medical Center is struggling is um, by virtue of who we are and who we serve and the ACOs that we partner with across the state. So our, our, our health plan is privileged to support the ACOs, not only uh, at what we call BACO, which is the Boston Accountable Care Organization, which is BMC, and the Medicaid books of business from some local hospitals, plus our, our network of community health centers. Uh, but we also support Signature Health's uh, program in Brockton, South Coast Health, ACO program in Fall River, New Bedford, and Mercy Hospital in Springfield. So we have kind of aggregated, almost by definition and design, a lot of what's known in the insurance business as adverse risk. And the what we're seeing is that the product financing has not caught up with that risk. And um, we're in 
pretty intense conversations with the state about how we sort that out. So the uh, I say it gets uh, the product gets kind of an A for doing the right thing, and we need to catch up on the payment. And remember, the state has also made a certain set of commitments to the federal government, which they are trying to honor through this effort. And um, and I think we're on the right track. We're working together, but we're we're up against really hard foe. We're up against poverty, and um, getting a a, a, a low income population healthy is really a, a big job. Um, so it, it's a challenge. So stepping even one step back from that, um, Massachusetts has run its mass health program for about 22 years now under a series of federal waivers from the Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services called 1115 waivers. I think we're in where fifth, I'm losing count. And this one expires in 2022. And this whole accountable care organization is part and parcel of an 1115 waiver. Um, just looking ahead to the future, are we reaching the end of these waivers? And Massachusetts health system has significantly sustained itself financially from the extra money that's come in through these waivers. Are you worried about the future post this waiver? Do you have any vision or sense of where the heck we're going beyond this five-year experiment that we're in right now? Um, first, I should s disclose that uh, Yes, Massachusetts has had these waivers, and Boston Medical Center as an organization has probably disproportionately benefited from those waivers. So we are highly yes, motivated <laughs> in making sure that these uh, that these waivers continue. I, I think that whether it's a waiver, whether it's dish proportionate share funding, which some states have, whether it's how we use uh, FMAP, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that's an acronym, how we use the funds available from taking expansion through the Affordable Care Act. I think all of that is kind of, uh, kind of almost like a technocrat view of Medicaid. I think that Massachusetts and the federal government have uh, shared responsibility in making sure that low-income people in the state have access to the health care that they, that they should have. And I think Massachusetts has been very smart at doing that in a way that benefits all of us. And I think the fact that our state was able to go ahead of the rest of the country in providing access for all its citizens is probably the proof point to that comment. Um, looking forward, I think you're you're looking into a pretty murky crystal ball, depending on what happens in Washington, how the state economy does, how well this ACO experiment does. You know, can we really get our arms around costs, or are they going to continue to gallop out of control? And what are the factors that push that? And how do we? ensure that the delivery system that we've built works for the people we serve. It goes back to my comments about the debates. You know, I kind of sit there and hear, you know, smart person after smart person talk about how healthcare isn't working. And these are all people I'm politically aligned with and I'm saying, whoa, you know, this it's really complicated. Um, and um, and I, I think that part of our responsibilities as leaders in this system is to demystify this a little bit and make some choices about where we're going to put our health care dollar to the benefit of the citizens we serve. If, if this ACO demonstration program doesn't work, is there another alternative out there that anyone has articulated or defined? We're not going back 
to the fee-for-service yeah. model, but what's an alternative to this if this doesn't work? I, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, as I tell people on, in, our, in our health system, fee-for-service Medicaid was no way to try to make a living. So we are on the right pathway here by, uh, by basically aligning the incentives between the people taking care of the patients and the, and the people who are paying for it. That, and that's completely aligned within our health system. In addition, we have added incentives to think about things that we know are wrong with our healthcare system, integration of behavioral health, better better uh, care for patients struggling with substance use disorder, making sure that basic health um, health improvement measures are what we are, are what we measure like vaccinations for kids. Um, and I think that that so we are on the right track. And I think that it's up to places like Boston Medical Center that are so closely partnered with the state in the care of low income patients we have to get this right because if we if we don't healthcare costs are going to continue to go up and then we'll be faced with choices we don't want to make about how we take care of the patients we serve so I guess to quote Apollo 13 failure is not an option here we have to make it work okay Paul Kate one of the uh, words you mentioned earlier is social determinants and Boston Medical Center is getting a fair amount of attention for your new investments in affordable housing a very important social determinant How'd that come about, and where are you trying to take your efforts in that on that issue? That's a that's a, a hard problem. I talked about healthcare being being complicated. We as BMC kind of entered into the housing world. We started thinking, "Wow, this is really complicated," because you know there's a you know people are waiting for Section Eight vouchers. You know, we're and we we think we have sick patients who are homeless, and we can take care of them, you know, in a more cost efficient way if we got them into a house, not realizing that it's. As the folks at Boston Healthcare for the Homeless told me once, Kate, it's more than just a key. So how people, how to make patients who have, uh, who have struggled with that particular social determinant, um, connect them with the services they need, is really challenging. That's the first point. The second point I'd make is really the last person you want building a bed is a healthcare executive. We can't build a bed for under a million bucks, <laughs> and so you need somebody. Uh, you, we need to find the right people to partner with so that we do this in a way that makes sense. The other force, which everybody who lives in this region knows, is the uh, they really the the kind of runaway cost of housing in this. So the people who 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 might not have become homeless, our families are in particular are becoming homeless because they just can't afford to live, or people are are commuting much longer distances for relatively low wage jobs. So we have. We have sort of a big challenge in, in our city. And what we saw at Boston Medical Center was an opportunity to take uh, our determination of need money and direct it into five housing experiments. So uh, acknowledging that we don't know what we don't know, we, we've done things as, uh, you know, as straightforward as, as buying units and as uh, Kind of remote, but trying to keep communities happy, uh, healthier by um, by supporting a, a no interest loan to a grocery store for a food desert. Um, it's a company called Good Foods out of D.C. It's kind of an employment model uh, that works with the community that they're serving to make sure to serve them not only uh, make sure that people have healthy foods, but also jobs and other opportunities as a result of that, um, and kind of everything in between. So the we're, what we're trying to do is learn how best to take the very precious healthcare resources we have and apply them judiciously against uh, some of the key social determinants that we see as driving costs. What about what, at, a, at a broader system level? You talk about what you've been doing yeah. at BMC. Do your fellow 
hospital and health system colleagues have responsibilities to use their own resources, whether those are operational dollars or maybe even some of their uh, saved asset dollars in this social determinants realm? Yep. Well, so we, we have seen this. We've, we just recently um, uh, were part of a partnership with Boston Children's and Brigham and Women's Hospital, who both made a significant investment in, in, in the affordable housing space. But I, I, I do want to caution us that uh, kind of moving the housing hot potato around to the healthcare sector probably isn't going to solve it. This is a complicated problem. You know, we're up against poverty. This has been around for a long time. So how we think about where we put our resources um, is really, I think, important. And the way, the distinction I have in my mind is, uh, if you think about our ACO patients, one of the things we've learned is that about 2% of them drive 40% of the spend. We call those, in, and that 2% fall into our complex case management program. We know that a combination of uh, complex case management, integrated behavioral health, substance use disorder treatment, and maybe access to housing is going to help that 2% spend less than 40% of our Medicaid dollar. Those are the kinds of investments hospitals should be making in housing, as opposed to the broad problem of, house, of affordability in our region, if that distinction Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, only a relatively small proportion of your patients have commercial insurance. You've got heavy Medicaid in terms of financing and some Medicare, and then the private insurance is um, is much smaller. Um, big conversation going on right now. Should we uh, strengthen, build on, expand the ACA, or should we move to? Uh, radically different model like Medicare for All that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren um, talk. What's your take on this? Um, do you have a special way of thinking about this when people must ask you all the time, well, do you support Medicare for All? So I, um, I always tell people that I'm a Medicaid for All person, which I think will get me drummed out of the fraternal core of hospital executives. But I, I actually think Medicaid is the most important insurance plan in our country, and here's why. Uh, it provides health care coverage to 79 million Americans, or some number like that. You guys probably have the right number. Um, it is literally cradle to grave. People think about Medicaid as moms and kids, which it definitely covers, but it also pays for 70% of the long-term care expenses in our country. And it pays for the kinds of things that are that aging elders need, care to remain in their home, uh, you know, it, it's it's really important that um, that we that we think about how we're going to handle an aging population since uh, the fastest growing demographic in our country is over the age of 85, and a third of them are expected to need assistance uh, through dementia or other health reasons. So uh, that's Medicaid also pays for medicines. Medicaid pays for behavioral health. Medicaid in our state pays for substance use disorder. Um, and I think it, it might be one way to cut through some of the uh, political rhetoric around this because in our country we kind of have 52 flavors of Medicaid if you count District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. And I think there's an opportunity for local customization. What So why, why I'm a Medicaid for all person is I think it is – it is a public option that works for the public. I think Medicare for All obviously is a much better political slogan, and, and I'm afraid it's just that. So let's talk a little bit about the Massachusetts healthcare market, and in particular the consolidation. We've seen a lot going on all over the country, and in Massachusetts and greater Boston, we saw Beth Israel and Leahy create the Beth Israel Leahy health system. Uh, we have the proposal now for Tufts and Harvard Pilgrim merging together. We've had various other kinds of failed 
proposals, but a lot going on. How do you look at the market right now? And we know that over years, Boston Medical Center has had conversations with Tufts Mm -hmm. Medical Center as well. How do you look at the consolidation, the market right now, and where BMC fits into the future? And uh, will BMC stay independent and by itself into the future, or um, who knows? Well, uh, specifically to the BMC question, I often say that um, nobody really wants to date the girl with more than 50% Medicaid, so <laughs> that might be kind of our problem. Uh, we have a unique set of circumstances, I, but I think the more uh, appropriate answer is uh, I think consolidation is kind of a fact of life. We see it in every industry around us. Uh, I think there's opportunities that come from the creation of scale and, um, and that it's it end up in the there's a dynamism, I think, that comes from putting organizations together. Um, I think it's incumbent upon us as leaders in the healthcare system to maximize on that, both in terms of the ability to uh, to build better programs and services for the people we serve at a price point we can all afford. So I think consolidation done right is probably is first of all consolidation is with us, and I think we can do it better than we've done it in healthcare. Uh, that's the first thing. I think the second thing is um, there's other ways to get scale. If I look at our health system, um, when I started in March of 2010, um, it was around a billion dollars. It's now a four billion dollar system, and a lot of the scale that we've gotten has really been through our health plan. So. Uh, in our market, we tend to be sort of obsessional about what hospital merges with what hospital. But I think there's examples, uh, I, I would point to BMC as one of them, and then around the country, of scale that's been achieved through different kinds of integration. Um, and you could envision, if you think about sort of social determinants of health, maybe scale that comes from um, from maybe integrating social services with, with healthcare delivery services, and particularly in rural areas. So we can start thinking, I think, about different models rather than just slamming together bricks and mortar of hospitals. So um, I think next year is the 25th anniversary of the formation of Boston Medical Center and the ending of Boston City Hospital, which was part of city government. Mm-hmm. So looking back 25 years from your perspective, was that the right thing to do? Was that a smart move to give up a public hospital, otherwise known as St. Elsewhere, the old TV show, for uh, for a very new modern and, and uh, non-profit uh, version. Um, was that the, was that a good move, or, or what do you think in uh, hindsight? So I, I want to thank you for saying new and modern, because I really do think that the getting out from under the city structure allowed us to um, to completely modernize our campus. Um, it's not your father's city hospital, as we often tell people. And I think that we have, uh, it's created the opportunity for us to uh, to build up our health plan. It's given us a reach beyond the region. You know, as I talked about our, our work with, with the health system in, in Brockton or in Springfield. Um, so I think that that's been um, in, uh, generally uh, much great for Boston Medical Center um, and for the people we serve. And remember, low-income people can, can't really afford to live in Boston anymore. And so a lot of the people that we had traditionally served or whose parents we served no longer live in Boston, so it's been a real opportunity for us to kind of follow our patients where they where they ended up living. Um, finally, I think the, uh, we haven't talked much about it, but one of the great strengths of Boston Medical Center really is its affiliation with the Boston University School of Medicine, the dental school, my office is in the public health school building. So when I talked about there sort of being all the pieces to really reform healthcare kind of in one campus, you know, the, you know we've got this great experiment we can run. We have 
really diverse patients, but one payer. We're all in, in one location. We can, um, we attract enormously talented young people who want to make the world a better place by working at Boston Medical Center. It really has just been, it's, I think it's a very successful experiment. Kate, you've, you've spoken a lot about uh, how important Medicaid is uh, and state policy can uh, Im impact that and other programs. When you, when you think about the state legislature this session and, and issues potentially before it, any priorities or hopes that you have? Um, I guess I would say uh, three things. I, I know that the legislature and the governor have to focus on transportation have to focus on education in addition to the strong focus and support they've given to healthcare broadly. Um, I expect that we will see uh, a very strong behavioral health bill this year um, from both both branches and, and the governor's office. I think that that is something that is, is overdue and certainly the data and understanding we've developed through the first 18 months of the ACO would definitely lead policymakers in that direction. I think we'll see continued work in substance use disorder, although I think our state really has uh, has definitely come to the table to try to do what they can to solve not only the opioid use disorder epidemic, but all of the other aspects of substance use disorder uh, that, we're, that we're facing as a, as a commonwealth and as a nation. Um, I think there'll be some conversation about uh, those hospitals that are uh, that are disadvantaged in the commercial rate uh, negotiations because they are, you know, they are lower than average, pay w well below average payment, uh, virtu by virtue of who they serve or where they are uh, geographically, and um, and I think it's not necessarily. Um, I think I'll leave it there. Well, let me ask you a corollary tied to that last issue about. Uh, hospitals and payment, and as we know, there, you know, there's variation. But the HPC put out a report this past week saying generally, especially those that may have more advanced information systems, that even though hospitalization in patient has gone down, total spending for hospitals uh, have gone up. And they've alluded to the fact that possibly because of coding issues, not that patients are sicker, but the suggestion in their in their report is that uh, it's the same patients they've been caring for, but they've gotten much more sophisticated at coding in such a way that we, the consumer, and our insurance, uh, or the state Medicaid just pays more for that care. What's your, what's your reactions to, to that report in, in that, in that uh, innuendo? So I have uh, three reactions. One, I think it's hard to react to innuendo, so let me set that part aside. The second is, um, is um, and I have a lot of respect for the work that Dave Seltz and the folks at HPC do, but I wondered whether or not um, that the trend that they documented misses an important factor which has happened over the course of the time that they studied, which is that many patients who were historically inpatients in relatively low acuity, one, two, three day stays, are now observation or outpatient only. So if you pull out a lot of low case weight acuity cases or simpler cases from the from all of the discharges that happened in the Commonwealth, I think it only stands to reason that um, that the acuity of those patients left in the hospital would go up. And the third thing is they use as a proxy of acuity uh, reduced ICU days. And I would say from having, you know, just the, the challenges of running, if you will, the hotel part of the of the hospital, uh, the pressure on beds has made it, um, has put a lot of pressure on ICU beds as well. People are always looking for ICU beds, so people get moved to step-down units. So I think they've got some imperfect measures for acuity matched up against um, 
what I don't think is an apples to apples comparison. Uh-uh. Now these these guys are smart. They probably will have a good answer for everything that I've just said. But as I look at these data, I think there's some um, challenges in 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 the methodology, and I'd want to understand more. And then finally, I think the uh, the question of of acuity as as acu- uh, uh, what's considered to be medical acuity as a proxy for payment, I think is one of the things that's distorted our healthcare delivery system. Um, so for instance, a medical case is determined to be less acute than a surgical case. But if you think about the complexity of, of thought and care and concern that goes into the taking care of a medical admission, um, the, the acuity that uh, of a quote-unquote surgical case or a procedural case is really just an artifact of a billing system, not so it's not what's happening biologically with the patient. So I think there's lots to uh, learn from that study and also lots to question. I'm, I'm sure much more to come there in that discussion. Kate, it's been an honor to be here with you. You've done such a phenomenal job now over 10 years leading this Probably one of the toughest jobs in healthcare in I Massachusetts. I definitely beat the over-under. But <laughs> so uh, congratulations. And we're going to take just a quick break, and then we're going to talk about Kate behind her back. Yes. Great. Look forward to that. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you for coming. John, uh, we're back now, just the two of us. Uh, having had Kate Walsh as our guest a few minutes ago, uh, any thoughts or reflections on uh, what she had to offer? Well, I have a, a long view. I recall the days of Boston City Hospital and the transition to Boston Medical Center. I remember Kate's predecessor, uh, Elaine Ulian, who was a dominant force in Massachusetts healthcare for decades and a very strong leader at Boston Medical Center at a time when they really needed it. I think Kate has a very different style, but what comes across is somebody who's also figured out a way to be tremendously effective in terms of defending and looking out for the interests of her institution in this very vulnerable position in this always transforming market. So I think there's a lot of just a sense of that they have a really exceptional leader right now. Also, you know, the sense of listening to her talk about, for example, the Accountable Care Organization program in Mass Health, the massive experiment that's going on. And clearly, you can read between the lines lots of concerns, worries, uncertainties, but also affirming that the direction is, in fact, a sound, sensible, and the right direction to move in. And importantly, um, if this doesn't work, there are no evident, obvious alternatives out there. So I think some some smart observations uh, in terms of what she said and some other things that she would more understated but but hit me pretty clearly. What about you? Well, you certainly appreciate that Kate lives in a world where governmental payment and uh, what it does is of greatest importance to her, much more so than many of our other guests who worry a lot about what's happening in the commercial market. And you know, even her fondness for Medicaid for all uh, speaks to you know how much she thinks about both the comprehensiveness of the program and, and, and how it's paid for. It also means that um, her institution, I think, is a little bit more backstopped. And she doesn't, as she noted, there aren't too many dad's partners that are interested in her institution at the, at the end of the day, even though she st- spoke about the value of consolidation. I think she sort of knows that the state's going to be backstopping 
her organization, even uh, if it doesn't have other other partners, uh, you know, in, in this con- consolidating healthcare world. Uh, at the same time, you know, I I sense that she senses that she lives in a in a in a world here, both of academics and a market where um, she has to find her way of, of, of coexisting, hopefully in a, in a supportive way. She depends on those other institutions probably to support things that she needs in, in, you know, in the state house. And uh, uh, at the same time, whether it's commercial reimbursement or Medicaid reimbursement, she needs a good flow to the dollars aimed towards the hospital sector. So uh, uh, the HBC report last week, which suggested that uh, perhaps we're overpaying for care, not simply because of pricing, but because the hospitals now with their information systems are able to take the patient they cared for five years ago and now code them at a higher level of acuity that the HPC suggested that. She also fought back uh, very hard about about uh, uh, whether the data really concludes that or, or suggests other things. So uh, it was an interesting conversation, and uh, I, I look forward to, to hearing more from Kate uh, about, uh, you know, all the issues that, that are of concern to her, John. So. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, of course, we're, we're anticipating the release of some reform legislation coming up in the next month or two. At least that's what the tea leaves suggest, but we will see. And maybe at the state can, government level. By, by, at by the, the state governor. government level, right. obviously, yes, right. So, Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to our podcast audience joining us uh, next month. Thank you. Thank you.